Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we're going to just get right into it because it's a fairly big day of updates in the Activision Blizzard saga. If you haven't been following along with us for this whole enterprise, this is the 20th video of a playlist we're calling Everybody versus Activision Blizzard. But suffice it to say, Activision Blizzard has been under fire from at least a few federal agencies, the EEOC and the SEC, and most prominently, the state of California and their Department of Fair Employment and Housing for two primary reasons. One, the state of California accuses them of having pay and hiring disparities that harm women. And two, both the state of California and the EEOC accuse Activision of allowing sexual harassment, pregnancy discrimination, and other forms of retaliation related thereto at the video game publisher. Now, the EEOC has tried to settle with Activision. That's still in process as the Department of Fair Employment and Housing in California objects to that procedure. But as we wait for Activision to actually answer the California lawsuit, Bobby Kotick, CEO of Activision, actually took a number of important steps as announced today, October 28th. 2021. Now we're going to be looking at the messaging here. This is by far the most important update we have in this video. We are also going to be talking about a small wrinkle in the EEOC's settlement with Activision, stuff that got thrown out as between the EEOC and the state of California. But this is the most important. I wanted to put it right up front. Why make you wait? Everyone, says Bobby Kotick, a few weeks ago, I reiterated our commitment to becoming the most welcoming, inclusive company in our industry. Today, I want to update you on some initial progress and important additional steps we are taking to advance our commitment with greater impact, transparency, and urgency. And I'm not going to read every word of this letter. You can, of course, see it in the description to this video. There's a lot of puffery talking about how great the people are at Activision, what you would expect from the CEO. This is actually a very well-written letter. It ultimately comes down to whether or not you believe Bobby Kotick or the leadership at Activision. In terms of the words on the page, what is said here, pretty effective, clearly vetted by probably multiple PR people and lawyers and everyone else. Back to Mr. Kotick, my goal and the goal of our board, our entire senior corporate team, our business unit leaders and their teams is to make sure you have the resources, culture and commitment from leadership you need to succeed in our collective aspiration to be the model workplace in our industry. Over the last decade, as we've brought in new companies, grown our workforce, and expanded our business, we believed we had the systems, policies, and people in place to ensure that our company always lived up to its reputation as a great place to work. Clearly, in some vitally important aspects, we didn't. And you saw Activision soften its messaging from its initial anger at the state of California's lawsuit into this kind of half apology, certainly somber tone that Bobby Kotick has struck in now a number of messages sent out to his employees, yes, but also obviously for public consumption. I did highlight this as we brought in new companies because I found it interesting. One of the things that has happened as we've dug deep into what the state of California is accusing Activision of, what the EEOC has looked at at Activision, is there does appear to be a nexus point at the Blizzard company, Blizzard Entertainment, which of course wasn't always an Activision company. If you go and you look at the history here, Activision Blizzard was formed in 2008. The Wikipedia entry here says around 2006, 
Kotick reached out to Jean-Bernard Levy, the CEO of the French media conglomerate Vivendi, and Vivendi at that time had a small games division, Vivendi Games, a holding company, principally for Sierra Entertainment, bring back King's Quest, Space Quest, love those games, and Blizzard Entertainment. Kotick proposed a merger to Activision's board, which it agreed to in December of 2007. And on July 8th, 2008, a little more than a decade ago, Activision announced that stockholders had agreed to the merge and the deal closed the next day for an estimated transaction amount of US $18.9 billion. But, and this is important, Vivendi was the majority shareholder with a 52% stake in the company. So although it was called Activision Blizzard, although Activision became the bigger name with Call of Duty, Blizzard obviously had a big name to itself with the World of Warcraft, and Vivendi actually wound up owning a majority of Activision Blizzard when the deal initially went through. So when you look at a statement from Bobby Kotick about bringing in new companies, it's worth noting that it was within the last decade, on July 25th, 2013, that Activision Blizzard, the company itself, bought out Vivendi for $5.83 billion, dropping their stake from 63% at the time after some cap table changes to 11.8% by the end of the deal in September. So Activision took on all of the greatness of Blizzard, but also all of the problems at Blizzard, really as of 2013, although it merged with it in 2008. So Bobby Kotick here is trying to tell a story, weave a yarn that says, look, the company that I built, Activision, we always wanted to be inclusive and great and awesome. And we've brought in others. We've expanded our workforce. We've got too big for our britches. And I'm very sorry about that. As he says, the guardrails weren't in place everywhere to ensure that our values were being upheld. In some cases, people didn't consistently feel comfortable reporting concerns or their concerns weren't always addressed promptly or properly. People were deeply let down. And for that, I am truly sorry. And that's about as close as you're going to get to a corporate admission and apology here. People were let down absolutely implies that there's a reason that they felt let down. We are a business fueled by passion and performance, says Mr. Kotick. These are cornerstones of our creative excellence, but we must constantly recognize, embrace, and celebrate that the very best ideas, the most rigorous execution of those ideas, and ultimately our responsibility to our players and each other are best served by a culture that recognizes and respects that true excellence comes from diverse views, voices, and talents. We've made progress over the last few years, fostering that diversity and creating a better work environment, a commitment that has improved in scope and speed in recent months. And we all know why, really. We've tripled our investment in anti-harassment and anti-discrimination training. We've made meaningful organizational changes, and we've substantially increased resources for reporting and carefully investigating improper behavior. We have started the hard work, says Activision. And then this next paragraph I also found at least a little bit amusing, certainly in subtext. The EEOC's investigative process, public discussion on discrimination and harassment, and your reports and suggestions helped shine a light on practices we need to improve, policies that need to be strengthened, and resources we are now adding. The EEOC's review was a catalyst to sharpen our focus on the ways we can become a company others emulate as a model for workplace excellence and one with an unwavering commitment to its values. Now, why did I find that particular paragraph amusing? Well, as we said at the top of this video, Activision's being investigated by a whole host of folks, but the most important are the EEOC, sure, which started its investigation, give or take, in February of 2018, according to their court file documents, 
and California's Department of Fair Employment and Housing, which you don't see referenced here and you won't see referenced here in this document at all. And I do think you can tell a story and maybe somebody will write a book about all of this when it's done about how Activision felt blindsided by the state of California, how the state of California's rhetoric at the top of their complaint read more like a political document that Activision reacted to and that Activision really is okay with the EEOC process, which in general seems more professionally handled, I have to admit, as I look at all the documents. Although we'll talk about a strike that happened in the second half of this video against the EEOC and in favor of the state of California. And Activision wants to make clear that they're okay with the EEOC process, how they were handled, how they were treated. And yes, the conspirators among you, I know some of you are in the comments, will say, well, that's because the EEOC is in the back pocket of Activision. I have to be honest, I truly don't believe that to be the case. I don't see anything in the EEOC documentation that suggests they went particularly light on Activision. It is one of the bigger rewards that the EEOC has gotten for sexual harassment claims. They are putting a person from the EEOC in Activision to audit basically everything they do for at least three years. Uh, And so I do look at that and think that the EEOC won a substantial victory if they actually get that consent decree approved by the court, which the state of California is fighting. But it's clear that Activision disagrees with what the state of California has done. And certainly, if you go back to the top of this playlist, you will know when we looked at the California complaint that I thought that there were certain weaknesses, especially in respect of the pay gap, the the disparity that they found or wanted to claim as illegal and oppressive and malicious and intentional in the pay between women and men and hiring practices between women and men at Activision. I certainly didn't think it was presented very strongly in the complaint, and it is the bulk of that document. My guess is that Activision is responding most vociferously to that, not just because that's potentially where their biggest damage lies, but because I think, and we'll see as part of this letter, Activision truly doesn't believe that they have taken steps of a discriminatory nature. They are acknowledging that there were harassment problems, that people weren't having their complaints heard properly, that there were bad actors that they are now trying to get rid of. But as an institution, they don't believe that they were discriminating on the basis of hiring or firing or or, or movement of people or what their pay is as between women and men. Activision continues, we have a lot more to do if we are to be the company that others emulate. I think we can all agree there. I want to share five new changes we are implementing. And I started this when I was originally looking at this for the purposes of this video and saying, all right, these are going to be small little things like they were in previous emails. That is not the case. This is Activision trying to bend as much as it can towards the requests that were made of it by folks like a better ABK. And we'll see that writ large in this document. I'll also be going back to the letter that a better ABK put out in August to show how Activision is trying to respond as best as they can in in the world of corporate decision-making. Section one, we are launching a new zero-tolerance harassment policy company-wide. In the past, when we discovered and substantiated harassment, we terminated some employees and provided verbal or written warnings or different disciplinary actions to others. Verbal warnings, of course, not being terribly useful. They don't go in any files. It's very unclear exactly what was done in those cases. They say, our goal is now to have the strictest harassment and non-retaliation policies of any employer. Any Activision Blizzard employee found through our new investigative processes and resources to have retaliated against anyone for making a compliance complaint will be terminated immediately. And remember, 
The EEOC consent decree talks about the EEOC working with Activision Blizzard to actually build up new investigative processes, new resources, new handbook materials, new trainings, whatever that might be. California finds them wanting, but the EEOC is going to be a part of this process. And they say, hey, if somebody is found to be a problem under those new processes, they will be terminated immediately. Then you get a paragraph that's a little bit lawyered, right? In many other instances of workplace misconduct, we will no longer rely on written warnings. Termination will be the outcome, including in most cases of harassment based on any legally protected category. And of course, I highlighted the words that are clearly the lawyers getting involved. In many other instances of workplace misconduct, I'm sorry, uh, what? What instances? What does that mean? Including in most cases of harassment, that's just interesting in and of itself, right? So there are cases of harassment where termination won't be the outcome. I need more clarity here, Mr. Kotick. Uh, and I'm not going to get it in this letter, of course. You can't ask questions to a letter that just doesn't respond. They continue, future employment contracts and equity awards will be clear termination for these reasons will result in the immediate forfeiture of future compensation, which again is a kind of subtextual admittance. If future employment contracts and equity awards will be clear and you'll lose all this comp for getting terminated for these reasons, it is highly suggestive of the fact that current employment contracts were not at all clear about what happened to your comp or your equity or bonuses or future awards if you got terminated for things like harassment. So they'll be cleaning up their contracts because they weren't doing a great job of this before. We also want to ensure that employees who file reports are encouraged, protected, and heard. For all reports of harassment and retaliation, we will investigate the allegation and whether the Activision Blizzard personnel who received the report of such behavior took the appropriate steps to protect the integrity of our compliance processes. So understand what they're saying here. Not only will we look into the accused, the, the folks that are accused of sexual harassment or discrimination, we're also going to watch the watchers. We're going to look into who was supposed to investigate this, and they're going to have to file more paperwork. They're going to have to be clearer as to what steps were taken, how they arrived at those kinds of things. And regardless of how you feel about Activision or Bobby Kotick, I think all of this is good. You do have to worry at least a little bit about zero tolerance policies as a concept in almost every instance, because they can cast too wide a net where there actually can be reasons to not enforce certain things or to otherwise have understanding in certain circumstances. This might put folks on eggshells a little bit, but certainly from where Activision is coming from with all of this publicity, with these investigations, I think it makes sense for them to take a fairly draconian step here and just say, look, if anything comes up, you're going to be fired. Except, of course, for where the lawyers talked about most cases of harassment. We'll see how it goes. Second, we will increase the percentage of women and non-binary people in our workforce by 50% and will invest $250 million to accelerate opportunities for diverse talent. Today, approximately 23% of our global employee population identifies as woman or non-binary, Building on the success that King and other business units have achieved, King being their mobile division primarily, we will seek to increase our percentage of women and non-binary professionals by approximately 50%, 50% of that earlier percentage, to more than one-third across the entire company within the next five years and hopefully faster. 
To further this commitment, we'll be investing an additional $250 million over the next 10 years to initiatives that foster expanded opportunities in gaming and technology for underrepresented communities. You might note that this is also the kind of thing that the money in that $18 million under the EEOC settlement agreement is to go to if it isn't otherwise awarded to affected women at the publisher itself. Now, this is a big deal. Taking 23%, making it more than a third, it's also a big deal because it's reflective of what was asked of them by their own employees and a better ABK. $250 million, a lot of money, not necessarily a ton of money for Activision to spend, although it's noteworthy that it's a lot more than the $18 million that they have to spend in the EEOC consent decree. All of this, again, very strong in terms of Activision positioning this and things that can be checked by third parties. Journalists can go and look at what their workforce is made up of within the next five years, see whether they have held to this bargain. Interestingly, especially in the United States, it also raises at least certain concerns. Generally speaking, you aren't allowed to hire non-gender or sex-based roles based solely on that quality. And so when we start talking about this, it's one of those things that you're going to have to be careful of if you're a lawyer at Activision Blizzard, if you're the outside counsel, where you want to increase this, you can't do it in such a way that will look uh, discriminatory, essentially in the opposite direction from what you're being accused of right now. It'll be interesting to see how they navigate those waters as well. Number three, based on feedback from employees, we are waiving required arbitration of sexual harassment and discrimination claims. For any Activision Blizzard employee who chooses not to arbitrate an individual claim of sexual harassment, unlawful discrimination, or related retaliation arising in the future, the company will waive any obligation to do so. And this is a big one. This is one of the major requests we've seen of companies in a similar position to Activision, whether it's Ubisoft or Riot, is they've got these arbitration clauses in their employment agreements and the employees in question think that they are unfair because it's a clandestine thing. It's it's full of confidentiality requirements and they don't want to have to arbitrate, especially on these topics, if they don't want to. So Activision says, hey, we will waive any obligation for you to do so. We will continue to increase visibility on pay equity. And this is directly responsive to what the state of California wound up suing them over. They say, as described in the recent note from our president, Daniel Allegri, and our chief administrative officer, Brian Bulatow, the company continues to focus on pay equity for employees. In fact, our U.S. analysis showed that women at the company on average earned slightly more than men for comparable work in 2020. To ensure transparency on our continuing commitment to pay equity, we will report these results annually. And in fact, you can go and look at this report that they made on October 14th, 2021, and they say the following. In the 2020 analysis, the firm compared the compensation of men and women while accounting for variables that impact pay, such as role, location, tenure, and job classification, exempt or non-exempt, among other factors. The analysis shows that women and men who performed comparable work at ABK earned essentially the same amount of compensation, with women coming in at a penny above men for every dollar of compensation. Those results are reassuring, and we are committed to ensuring that compensation remains equitable in 2021 and beyond. And certainly in the state of California's complaint, they don't agree with any of this. And there are ways that you can game these kinds of reports, especially when you look at the variables, how they're weighted, what exactly that looks like in the studies that they have made. And the state of California obviously disagrees. But in that same complaint that the state of California made, they also did things like comparing wildly different roles 
at the chief executive level. And so it's unclear exactly what kind of evidence they have on this particular question outside of anecdotes and interviews and things like that from the company. This will be the biggest fight that the state of California and Activision have if the state of California decides to pursue this fight, which certainly they have given all indications that they will. They also pledge to give regular progress updates. We can only hope that they are more regular than when every other game company promises regular progress updates on their actual products. And then lastly, the reason the thumbnail reads the way it does, Bobby Kotick wants to ensure that every available resource is being used in the service of becoming the industry leader in workplace excellence. Accordingly, I have asked our board of directors to reduce my total compensation until the board has determined that we have achieved the transformational gender-related goals and other commitments described above. Specifically, I have asked the board to reduce my pay to the lowest amount California law will allow for people earning a salary, which this year is $62,500. To be clear, this is a reduction in my overall compensation, not just my salary. I am asking not to receive any bonuses or be granted any equity during this time. And this is a public pledge. And certainly you can see quantifiable metrics above, in particular, that notion that the women in the Activision workforce will be increased by 50% from where they sit right now. So it'll be interesting to see whether this holds or if they have any trouble getting to that percentage at Activision itself. But that's the headline item. Bobby Kotick reduces his pay, which is generally speaking $150 million or so. I think there's a video on this very channel that calls Mr. Kotick the $200 million man. You've seen shareholders object to this kind of thing. You've certainly seen outlets reporting on this story at Activision Blizzard about the size of the EEOC consent decree and of similar stories talking about the fact that Bobby Kotick makes so much money that that $18 million is offensive, etc. And this, from a messaging standpoint, is trying to get out in front of all that. You see this regularly from governors and presidents and other elected officials that say, oh, I'll take a dollar, I'll take whatever the lowest is that's allowable in order for me to maintain being an employee at the company. And frankly, you can look at it however you'd like to look. I certainly think it's a it's a good symbol. Obviously, Bobby Kotick has enough money to buy however many islands just from his work at Activision so far. So it might be a limited symbol to you or others. But as I mentioned when talking about this letter, it's worth noting that this is clearly Activision trying to respond to its workforce and the noise that they have made in complaining about everything that's happened. If we go and we look at the August 2nd, 2021 letter, we see the following. We communicated a list of four demands aimed at protecting our most vulnerable workers. These are, one, an end to forced arbitration in employment agreements. We saw that, kind of, right? We saw it aimed at harassment and discrimination. Chances are that's about what you can get from Activision Blizzard. You're still going to have to arbitrate things like comp or whatever else it might be at the level that Activision Blizzard wants to arbitrate those things. The adoption of inclusive recruitment and hiring practices. They've pledged to increase women and non-binary workers by 50%. Is that good enough? I think it's certainly substantial. I can't speak for a better ABK, of course, but it is movement in the direction that they asked for. Increases in pay transparency through compensation metrics. You did see those metrics discussed on October 14th. You also saw a pledge in that letter where Bobby Kotick says, we're going to make that available on an annual basis, hopefully in a manner that a third party could actually analyze, could go and look and see if there are biases or other things that should be corrected. 
And fourth, an audit of ABK policies and practices to be performed by a neutral third party. And that third party, they wanted to be selected by an employee-led DEI task force. And that didn't happen. But as part of the EEO's consent decree, the EEOC, which most folks would think of as a neutral third party uh, in this score, although I know a number of you on the internet don't feel that way, is going to be analyzing their handbooks, is going to be making recommendations, is going to be doing employee interviews and otherwise acting as a third party within Activision during the term of their probationary period, for lack of a better phrase. For three years at least, Activision Blizzard is going to have to deal with the EEOC on a regular basis, and they are going to audit those policies and practices. So overall, in terms of the things that were requested, I think there was significant movement towards what this group wanted, what the employees, at least as represented by this group at Activision Blizzard, wanted. And it will be interesting to see what their response is here. Certainly, I think it was unexpected that Activision would move as much as they did. They're clearly trying to get out in front of the California case, trying to show the courts and everyone else that California essentially has gotten everything that they had wanted to. And if they're going to fight, it's going to be on that equity compensation piece. It'll be interesting to see what happens from there. Certainly that was the biggest news of the day, but I do want to give a hat tip to Blue Space Cow on Twitter, who did make me aware of another filing in the EEOC versus Activision Blizzard case. Blue Space Cow says the judge has granted the department's motion to strike. If I recall correctly, those were the filings with the alleged ethics violations by the department in them. And they are, in fact. You can definitely check videos in this playlist that talk about the ethics complaint. Suffice it to say, the EEOC said that a couple of lawyers went from the EEOC to the state of California, worked on this case for the state of California after they had done so for the EEOC, which is a violation of certain ethics rules. But to understand what just happened here and how it's probably ultimately fairly inconsequential, we have to go back to the actual documents themselves to see what was occurring. I've talked about the state of California intervening against the EEOC consent decree. The truth is that's skipping a step. California hasn't formally actually actually intervened. What they have done is filed a document that said the following. The California Department of Fair Employment and Housing hereby applies to this court ex parte, emergency basis for purposes of this conversation, for an order shortening time to file its motion to intervene in this action for the purpose of objecting to the consent decree proposed by plaintiffs and defendants at the time the action was filed. What the state of California did was they filed an emergency motion with the court saying all this timing should be shortened where we can actually object to this consent decree because it's going to harm us because we have this lawsuit pending and we think the time should be shorter than what would otherwise be allowed for this whole process to proceed. The EEOC objected to this. They filed a document that said, we need to seal some stuff in our answer. And they said, please take notice that pursuant to federal rule of civil procedure 26C, civil local rule 79.5, ECF administrative policies and procedures section 2J and the Honorable Dale S. Fisher's procedures. And I read all that to you for a specific reason you'll see in a second. Plaintiff Equal Employment Opportunity Commission will and hereby does move this court for an order to file under seal certain documents in connection with EEOC's Memorandum of Points and Authorities in support of plaintiff EEOC's opposition to proposed intervener DFEH's ex parte application to shorten the time to file motion to intervene. That's a heck of a sentence, right? But what it says is, pursuant to these rules that are required for us to seal documents, we move this court to file what we're putting forth here under seal 
in connection with our opposition to California's request to an emergency motion to shorten the time for them to intervene. So all of this is really a fight about that shortening. And this is, as pointed out by Blue Space Cow, where the EEOC puts forth its complaints about ethics. This is what we've read about before. But note again, it's a filing in opposition in response to proposed intervener Department of Fair Employment and Housing's ex parte application to shorten time. You don't formally have an intervention here. You have an emergency motion about timing constraints. After the EEOC filed all this ethics stuff, certainly Activision tried to use it and that got kicked out of an ex parte procedure and we'll see if that goes anywhere on the Activision versus California side. The court in this case said, a motion to intervene may be filed as a regularly noticed motion. The EEOC and department are ordered to meet and confer concerning an appropriate briefing schedule no shorter than the schedule provided in the local rules. Look, you guys have filed a lot of documents here and I'm just going to reject the ex parte emergency nature of this. You can use our normal rules. And this was 17 days ago. But the state of California still had a complaint. They were still concerned, essentially, that part of what the EEOC filed wasn't filed properly and was a violation of privilege and confidential rules, attorney-client work privileges, et cetera, et cetera. And they wanted everything that the EEOC had used to respond to their motion stricken from the record. Now, as you can probably tell, since we just read the fact that the court already denied the motion, that the EEOC was wouldn't need this documentation to actually argue against it, ultimately, the court took this motion that said from the state of California, hey, we're going to talk about this in November, and said, nah, we don't actually need to. It says the present dispute between the department and the EEOC involves certain allegedly privileged information disclosed by the EEOC in its ex parte application to seal its opposition to DFEH's motion to shorten time. The court has neither the time nor the inclination to comb the EEOC's filing to see if any unredacted material should have been redacted. And that's the court telling the EEOC to pound sand. It is sufficient to note that one, the EEOC failed to follow the local rules when it filed the application to seal. And two, the court has already ruled on the application to shorten time without the need to consider the bulk of the material submitted. Given this, there is no reason the EEOC's application to seal should not be stricken as both irrelevant and procedurally flawed. And that procedurally flawed is a whap on the nose, certainly to counsel to the EEOC. Now, what the court ultimately winds up saying is that the EEOC didn't follow local rule 79-5, which you saw them reference in their own document. I'm not going to go through the specifics here, but suffice it to say, this is essentially what lawyers get paid for. There's just a ridiculous amount of things and cover pages and documents that you have to file with the right court in the right order with the right people on the right timing, including things like a redacted version of the document that is sought to be filed under seal with specific language put on the top, a table of what you want to have protected, an unredacted version that the court can review, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And what the court is saying is that the EEOC didn't follow this. And also, hey, we ruled on this already. So I'm going to strike all that stuff. So when Blue Space Cow points out to me and Stephen Totillo at Axios that this got struck and this was all what was related to the ethics complaint, that was certainly one of the exhibits to the documents. What it should be noted is that it doesn't mean anything happens to the ethics complaint. As it stands right now, the state of California hasn't filed a regularly noticed motion to actually intervene with the consent decree and settlement process. 
Truthfully, we don't actually know whether the state of California will, although they've certainly signaled that they intend to. And if they do, you would expect oppositional documents from the EEOC that looked very much like the exhibits they attached to their opposition to the ex parte emergency motion to shorten time. So at the end of the day, outside of the law, outside of everything else, nothing really changed. Everything changed on October 11th when the court said, nah, do this in a regularly noticed motion and nobody has moved since. Now that's not unusual. The the law grinds exceedingly slow and fine and everything else that you wind up hearing in law school, it takes a long time to run a litigation. But certainly it is noteworthy that at least at bare minimum, the court did whap the EEOC on the nose for not following what it deemed to be the way that these things should be filed. So end of the day, you do have Bobby Kotick making some really big announcements for Activision Blizzard. Are they good enough to you? Are they good enough if you're from a better ABK? Leave a comment to the video. Let me know how you feel about these comments coming out. And certainly from a legal perspective, it's always nice to check in with what's happening in the rest of these lawsuits. I wouldn't expect another update on this topic until Activision actually files an answer with the state of California or a demurrer or whatever it is that they intend to file, which should be soon, but we just don't know where things left off. If you enjoy talking about the business and law of video games and much more law of late than business, certainly a lot of companies getting sued or suing other companies and you think there's value in this channel, please consider supporting it. We have a Patreon. We have other ways to support the channel listed in the description to this video. Otherwise, just subscribing, upvoting, downvoting, commenting, telling your friends, posting these in forums or on Reddit or wherever else you find yourself, every single little bit helps. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.